And speaking of terms, I always, I've always wondered where K1 comes from. Like, what, why do they call it a K1? If you really dig, it's, it's kind of a hard answer to, to find. But if you look for it, you'll also see that there's another kind of K1. Welcome to the Invest Local Podcast, where we uncover the brilliance of local businesses that are slugging it out, serving their customers and giving back to their own communities. Check us out at vicinitycapital.com and give us a follow on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we are not making any investment recommendations, nor are we providing any sort of investment advice. Now on with the show. Welcome, folks, to the Invest Local Podcast. I'm your host, Malcolm McDonald, and with me today are Josh Rollins and John Crawford. And today we are doing a bit of a different take on our roundtable podcast. We are digging into a particular topic uh, that's incredibly exciting, um, and and that is investing tax forms. So uh, we're going to keep this short and sweet. We want to give you all a few helpful points, a few helpful terms to start your quest for knowledge around. And as Josh will likely say, if I don't, this is not to be considered tax advice, and you should consult with your CPA or tax professional uh, before making any concrete decisions about taxes regarding your security purchasing through vicinity. So with that disclaimer, we will jump in and I will kick it over to Josh to give us a little bit of an overview. What types of investments um, and tax implications are we going to be covering today, Mr. Joshua? <laughs> well, that, that was actually all I wanted to say. The disclaimer you just said was really my portion of this podcast. And I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry to steal your compliance thunder, Josh. <laughs> Although I would argue you have much more to say on this than that. <laughs> well, I think it's helpful to think of just a couple big categories that you can throw the investments into. So good news here, why this topic can be exciting is that if you are investing and making profits, uh, then that's something to be excited about. And only then really do you have to worry about tax implications. So it's important to think through two major components that then will throw your investment into, uh, into a different quadrant. So one is the type of entity you're investing in. Is it an LLC or is it a C corporation? Those are, especially with vicinity, this will probably be all that you see. Uh, and a lot of, so far, ours have been LLCs, which there is one little asterisk that I'll throw on that, in that an LLC that is taxed as a partnership is what we're talking about here. Some LLCs can actually be taxed as corporations, and that could be a little bit of a sneaky um, sneaky thing you got to keep in mind. So LLC versus C-Corp. And the second, are you investing in debt or equity? So once you know those two things, then you can follow the right path on uh, on understanding what tax implications and tax forms you should expect related to your investment. Excellent. So let's say, let's take one for example. We are investing in a debt structure security, um, we'll say a term loan um, in an LLC. What should I be aware of going into that? Yeah, so if you've received any interest on your debt investments, then you should receive a, a tax form called a Form 1099 from the company to include your tax filing. It's probably a 1099-INT for interest, and that'll record your interest payments that you've received, and it's something you need to include uh, or hand over to your CPA. 
Excellent. And, you know, we've done a couple of, of revenue sharing notes, which are a little bit different. Is there anything in particular? Those are similar to a kind of classic uh, term note, but there's a little bit of a catch there that doesn't have necessarily direct implications for the investor, but something for them to note, right? Yeah, so it, it does in the sense that with a term loan, you know the payments that are coming. With a revenue share, it's contingent upon the revenue of the business. So they cannot be calculated until actual payments are made. What you're making in interest on that can't be calculated until payments are made. So the interest calculation is done at the end of the year when all the payments for that year have been made. But that is another debt instrument. It's just a little bit of an unorthodox one, but it is one that should have the same sort of tax implications. Gotcha. So either way, they should be looking for a, whether it's a term loan or a revenue sharing note, they should be looking for a 1099 at the beginning of the following year to report that on their tax filing. Yes. And then uh, we're, we're kind of building up here to then the more complicated one of a convertible note, which starts as a form of debt that could be uh, having interest payments, in which case the same process would apply. And that's before the convertible note converts. So I'll, I'll pause there since that switches us into another category. Yeah, no, that's helpful. So there is a type of security convertible note, like you said, that you would, depending on where you sit in the life of that security, whether it's converted or it hasn't converted, it'll have different tax implications. Like you said, on the front end, if it hasn't converted, it'll be treated like debt. And then once it converts, then it'll turn into an equity instrument. And let's stay in the vein of the, the LLC for simplicity's sake. So it converts. What do you technically own in the company? Yeah, most of the time. So if it's equity in an LLC, it's probably classified as membership interest in the company. And so if you've made an equity investment, and that could be, to your point, a convertible note that has now converted, then you should receive a K-1 form from the company. And that should be by March 15th each year. So when you kind of come into it, I think it's easy for first-time investors or new investors to kind of think of everything as stock. And so an interesting kind of bifurcation, if you will, here between an LLC and a C-Corp, you know, the shares or stock, quote, I'm using air quotes that you can't see here, <laughs> are um, <laughs> what you would think of as stock in the company. But um, like you said, they're referred to or classified as membership interest. Am I, am I saying that right, Josh? Yeah. Cool. Well done. Matt. So <laughs> look, I'm learning. I'm learning more and more every day. <laughs> So the other asterisk in the equity department would be a safe or a simple agreement for future equity. Um, also a convertible note, which we kind of touched on pre-conversion. Those seem like equity investments or equity-esque investments. Should you expect a K-1 like you would in a typical equity investment? Great question, Malcolm. So a safe, helpful to think through the what the acronym actually stands for, simple agreement for future equity. So this is not actually equity in the company yet, in which case you don't have tax implications uh, at, at the point of holding the safe note, just that agreement. It's only when whatever the event is that triggers the safe turning into equity, now you start the clock on, on any of the tax implications. And at that point, you say, okay, now I have either membership units in an LLC or shares in a C-Corp, and so, so now what? Now, that's really helpful. And, and, you know, when you're thinking about this in terms of capital gains tax and how you report the income from it, 
like you said, the clock doesn't start on a safe or a convertible instrument until it actually converts. I think that's really helpful for investors to keep in mind. You know, even if I hold this for, let's say, five years and then it converts, that I'm just now starting to clock on my capital gains tax. So something to keep in mind. And again, going back to our disclaimer, something to make your, your tax professional aware of um, so they can help you think through um, any kind of more strategic tax decisions um, at that point. Malcolm, I just really yeah. appreciate use of the term equity-esque. <laughs> that is, that is an official deal. term. <laughs> about that. Yeah. Equity dash. E-S-K is, is how you Speaking of terms, because this is, you know, all of this is, is so riveting. So I've been just quiet because I can't contain my <laughs> excitement. But and speaking of terms, I always, I've always wondered where K-1 comes from. Like, wh- why do they call it a K-1? If you really dig, it's it's kind of a hard answer to, to find. But if you look for it, you'll also see that there's another kind of K-1. So there's a K-1 in the IRS world for the application we're talking about. And then there's a K-1 visa. Which, you know, fun fact is you've got to, uh, you have to, if somebody wants to get in the country as a fiance of somebody that's an American citizen, they have to get a K-1 visa. And they have to, I think they have to marry them within 90 days of entering the country. So. Do you know this from Wait, so does that mean there's some there's some (laughs) connection between. (laughs) That's what I want Um, to know. What's the, what's the connection? Wow. (laughs) This, so, this originated, yeah. I think it was from in, in Vietnam. So what you had is you had the Vietnam War and you had all of these uh, women that wanted to marry soldiers. And there was they were, they were coming back into the country, but they were having to kind of cut off their relationship. Lots of sad stories and tears. And so the embassy got overwhelmed. Um, and so they created this K-1 visa where you could you know, be a fiance, but you had to just marry him within 90 days of entering the country. So is there a connection between the K-1 visa and the K-1 in this IRS context we're discussing? That's the question of the hour. We're going to leave wow. all of our listeners on, uh, just hanging on the cliff there because none of us know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, question. I have Somebody absolutely can... no idea. <laughs> What's funny is I never would have even thought to question um, this will, will um, unveil some of my views on just kind of the IRS, but I've never thought to to ask, is there a way to make sense of the way these forms are named? Because I just thought that was a step too far, that that would be impossible huh. to come to. But that's probably to be an took a step too far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, if I, there I, is I, a connection, yeah, it kind of makes yeah. sense. I mean, you've got... Um, I would I would definitely say both in both cases you have a membership interest in um, the entity that Ooh. you are associated with. Are <laughs> <laughs> they right, totally so you do? <laughs> for, any, for any listeners that are still <laughs> free with vicinity, us at this point, I think if uh, oh you were you were yeah. going a different way than I was. I'm just either. saying if give somebody, somebody a vicinity if they can not not only understand the origin of K1 but also the 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 IRS K1 but definitively but answer, answer like is there a connection? Okay, you got to yeah. convince us that that you you know give make the case send it in to we'll send it to Malcolm at vicinitycapital.com if you have an answer to that and we can give you a T-shirt. If not, if we're not like seeing it. the answer, then. <laughs> if we figure it out in a future episode, we will make sure that we put in the title that, you know, K1 answer unveiled or revealed or something like that so that you can tune into that one as well. I like it. All right. That was a good tangent. The official contest. Thanks for that um, good <laughs> good moment of interesting content and this um, 
wash of uh, <laughs> boring information, but necessary. Yeah. Let me do the lightning round here on a couple other points, I think, because I think those are really the, the main ones we got to. So one, I think equity in a C-Corp, if you actually have shares, there's not a K-1 that will, be, that will generally be issued um, if you have equity in a C-Corp. Um, you only need to report income when they realize a gain or loss for tax purposes. For example, if you um, take a selling position or you're earning interest, if there are dividends which are paid, which is really going to be uncommon in our form of, of capital raises, it's an early company stage. They should be using the money for growth, probably not for dividends. But if if you do get dividends uh, and you hold equity in a C-Corp, you would receive a 1099. So we're, we're really toggling between two forms if, if you're still tracking here. And then um, just a couple other points. If you sell a security that you acquired, we'll stick with through vicinity in a private transaction and you realize the gain, that capital gain is taxable. Uh, same if you sold for a loss, it would qualify as a capital loss and it could be used to offset any other capital gains that you might have from other investments. And then if the company that you invested in goes bankrupt, the company is responsible for providing the tax documents to reflect that loss. So keys here, the company should be providing you with the information you need, but it is helpful to know maybe what you're looking for just to, to make sure you can ask good questions either come the right time to get a tax form or even just knowing what tax form you might uh, should expect. So hopefully that gives you some helpful guidance and gives you some fodder to talk with your CPA or tax advisor on. Excellent. A couple of terms, a couple of people to chase down for more information and a, a pop quiz for someone to go research and get a vicinity that's a t-shirt that has vicinity on it for anyone who hasn't heard our catchy, <laughs> catchy title for our merch. Uh, well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Josh, for sharing some insight on the, the tax forms and implications for a vicinity investment. Um, and thank you all that have invested. We, we love connecting with new investors. We're seeing the base of, of investors on the platform grow all the time. And that's really exciting to see people pour into their, their local communities. And we want people to do so with as much insight and, uh, and information as possible, which is um, why we're doing this podcast here today. So thank you all for joining. If you have further questions, feel free to reach out. Again, our disclaimer that we may or may not be able to provide concrete um, answers on the tax side. But if you have questions, we're more than happy to, uh, to bounce them around and, and give you what answers we can provide, particularly on the, on the securities side of the equation. So thank you all for joining and uh, join us next time for more local stories and insights. And there you have it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Invest Local Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving a review and feel free to follow us on any of our social media platforms. And don't forget to tune in next week for more local stories.